that's my motive. <clears throat> my motive would be to see all of us strengthened um, and more encouraged to follow Jesus better. Again, I'm not making an assumption that everyone necessarily is at the same place. I realize we have people at different places. Some of us are seeking. Some of us are very intrigued. Some of us just starting our journey. Some of us have been doing it for a long time. Um, wherever we are, I think, I think God wants to meet us. So here's the thing. Two weeks ago, well, actually it was last week that I shared uh, particularly on this parable that we're about to look at. I want to I read through it real quick. It's in Matthew 13. These are the words of Jesus. You can follow along on the handout. If you have your Bible, you're more than welcome to do that. Your Bible app, that's cool too. Whatever works. But here it is. Jesus said this. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. His, we call these parables. These are mini ones, teeny ones. Um, parables were stories Jesus gave as a way of illuminating a, a principle that he wanted us to think about. He knew how we were wired. He knows how we work best. We're a story. We, we, human beings are wired to engage story. You could argue that God's entire movement with humanity is a, is a story. And then Jesus enters into that story. But when the Lord taught us, when he taught truth, he used stories frequently because he knew he could get us to use our imagination. And oftentimes things that were maybe a little bit more difficult to appreciate or apprehend, he could pull us into them by using a story and then make the point, either directly or indirectly. In this case, these are just two little stories that he gives. They're back to back. They're kind of like twin parables. So let's read them through again. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and, and he covered it up. So he finds this treasure in a field that he's plowing and he covers it up because he doesn't want anybody to know about it. And we talked about why he would do that in their day. And then in, in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. And then Jesus said, oh, and one more thing, the kingdom of heaven is like a, how should I say it, a merchant, a pearl merchant in search of pearls. He's a collector. And when he finds a pearl, Jesus says that he finds one, one pearl of exquisite value, of great value, the pearl of great price. And when he sees it, he goes and he sells everything that he has and he buys it. That was what Jesus gave us. Now, we talked about this last week, how those two parables, we could be thinking of them, right? And we use the, we use the opportunity to say, hey, this is kind of what happens when someone comes to follow Jesus. Some of us relate more to one than the other. They're similar, but they're different. Some of us, for example, as we mentioned, we weren't really searching for the Lord. I mean, we, we were somewhat open, but we were just kind of like the guy in the field. We were just kind of moving through life. And maybe somebody had a conversation with us or something occurred in our life or we had something happen that made us more open, maybe to go into church with a coworker or a friend. I don't know how it works. But some of us, maybe when we either got presented with Jesus or when we came in, even, and this happens all the time, people will come in to church after not having been here for a number of years or never at all. And it's not uncommon for someone to just start feeling like emotional and even feel like somehow what they weren't expecting is happening. Something's really moving inside of them at a deep level. And so some of us, we weren't looking for the Lord so much as we just kind of like stumbled upon him in a way. But when we found him, when, when, it really, when our eyes are really opened to what we had an opportunity, when we saw it as the hidden treasure, as Jesus described it, it's like we bought the field. We did it. I want this. I never even knew it existed. Others of us were more like the, and like we came to the Lord in a different way. We were more like the pearl merchant. We were, we were actually searchers. We were on a spiritual quest. We were, we were looking for things. We were intentionally, and I know this, I've, I've, I've talked to a number of us who come in different ways, 
Some of us, we were really wanting to address the deeper questions of life. We were thinking about the whys. We were, we were wanting to know, is there truth? Can that truth be known? What does Jesus have to say? Um, we were maybe searching for, you know, why am I even here as a human being? You know, what does it mean to, to, to is, is, can truth be known, right? So we were seekers and we found, we found our way to Jesus. And when we really saw him for what he was, that pearl of great price, we, we bought it. We sold it all. To use the words of Jesus, we sold everything to obtain it. Now, that's certainly one way to look at these two parables. We are, in this regard, the ones who are pursuing, right? We're pursuing. We, the, we find him and we make a decision. We're going we're gonna to obtain the kingdom. So in that sense, we are the ones who are the plowman in the field or the merchant, the pearl merchant. But if I can get you to think slightly differently because I've heard this par- these two little mini parables presented also in an alternative way, in a different way, and, I want, and, and, and it's legitimate to look at it from the angle we're going to look at it. What I want us to do is flip it over and see it in a different way, like a, like a two-sided coin or something that has another side to it. I want us to look at this parable from a slightly different perspective. And I think, again, because there were sometimes when Jesus would tell stories, parables, he would give precise meanings. This is that. He would interpret the parable. But there were other times where he really didn't. He was inviting us to think and to look at it from a different perspective. And sometimes there would be a perspective. We would look at something. We'd come up from a different angle. we see a different nuance. So in this parable, these two parables, I want to suggest that it is possible, and I'm not the first one to bring this up, it is possible that what Jesus was really getting at when he was talking about the reality of why he had come, it is possible that he was saying not so much this is about you finding me as it is about God finding you. Almost like Jesus was saying, hey, let me tell you something about how much you're worth to God. You're like a, a hidden treasure in a field. And when it's, when it's found, they give everything to obtain it. Or you're like a pearl to me of great price, exquisite value, and I give everything to obtain you. It's almost like Jesus saying, do you understand how much you're worth to God? That perfectly lines up with John, say John 3.16, where God says he loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? He loves that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have life everlasting, not just now, but in the life to come, overflowing, the undying love of God. Because God did not send his son, as Jesus said in John 3, into this world to condemn it. It's already a mess, and it's got death all over it. That's the truth. But that the world through him might be saved. You know, the fact is that Jesus entered into the human experience. God entered into this experience. He taught us this, that he wanted to really help. He wanted to meet us where we were. Let me put something up and just ask this question. Do we realize, let me suggest, do we realize how much we are loved by God? I want to use it as a starting point. Because in the end, I know we can say it, oh yeah, God loves me. But I mean, and many times we rehearse, sometimes some of us are so familiar with the story of Jesus that we go, oh yeah, he died for me and, and uh, you know, God loves us and gave his son and yeah, he needed to die and that was the purpose of the cross so that we could have life and he paid a debt that, that he didn't know so, you know, we could have a chance to be with God and, and we were separated and, and, I, I, and that we start to know that and it becomes such a part of our vernacular or it just, we've heard it so many times that it, it loses some of what it was intended to be. But do we realize what he did? I mean, he, he gave everything. He was broken for us. I mean, he, what Jesus taught us was that God has done absolutely everything he could to obtain us. He could do nothing more and still allow us to be creatures of free will. 
I mean, the truth is he literally has felt every human experience at the ground level. Any pain we have, he's felt it. Not just as a God who created it, but as a human being who fully experienced it. Jesus knew what it was like to be rejected. He knew what it was like to suffer. He knew what it was like to be forsaken, even of God. He knew what it was like to be abandoned by his friends, by the people who should have loved him best. He knew, every, he knew what it was like to suffer at incredible levels, at the hands of people who were cruel and inhumane and unjust. He understood what it was like to suffer. And here's the difference. He could have stopped it at any time, but he didn't. He chose to allow himself to suffer for us. The scripture talks about it in Isaiah 53 and all through the New Testament, how he takes on himself the sins of this world. He does for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He paid the price for us that we could never pay. He became, in the language of scripture, poor that you and I might be made rich. God loves us. He gave his only son as living proof. Sometimes people say when things aren't happening, well, why isn't God good? Isn't God good? Why would he allow this to happen? I say, well, when we live in a broken world, no question about it. It's ugly and it has a dark side. It's a lot of good things, a lot of ugly things. So well, why is this happening? I say that sometimes God's no answer would suffice you on this side of eternity, nor me. But I do know one thing. God is good and he loves us and he gave his only son as living proof. And here's the other thing. A lot of times he doesn't always give the answer to the why, but he gives himself. And he literally experiences the worst of humanity. And such is his love that it pursues us. You know, I was thinking about this parable and the idea of Christ's woundedness. And I came across a piece of writing from a man named, a pastor, a writer named John Ogilvy. And he said this. It was interesting because he was looking at the parable of the pearl. And he was talking about how Jesus was wounded on our behalf. And I asked if they could put this up and you can see what I'm talking about here. Look what he says. And this is interesting. He says, pearls are the result of invasion and injury. They are actually products of a living organism. A grain of sand gets within the oyster and it injures it. So, and the oyster, an oyster cannot expel the sand or whatever that other thing is that gets in there. So it, it only has kind of one recourse. It can, tries to contain it. The oyster covers over the injury layer on layer on layer until the pearl is fashioned. And then Ogilvy said this. He says, the wounding is the source of wonder. The wounding is the source of wonder. Just as the pearl, hear me out, just as the pearl was birthed out of the wound, the, so the kingdom, Jesus would say, comes through his cross. In a very real sense, his body, us who follow and claim to know him, love him, and who have received him. We are literally been born out of the wound of God. That, oh, that's why every time we celebrate communion, we are reminding ourselves of how he was wounded for our wholeness. You know, Jesus on the night of his betrayal, on the eve, right before he, he was, he'd be killed, right? He said, he said, you know, this bread, which had always been so associated with sacrifice in the Old Testament, in the Older Testament, the bread and the, and the, and the blood of the lamb, Jesus said, take this bread, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he says, see this cup, you take it, you drink it. And don't forget, it's to remind you of my blood that is being shed for you. And then he said this, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Don't ever forget the extent of my love for you and what it cost me. Now, death wasn't the final word, but death was real. 
And that's why every time when we, we receive the cup, take the Lord's table, come together in communion. It's not like, it doesn't have to just be like this ritual thing. It is actually a reminder, listen to me, of how much we are loved by God. It's real. It's powerful. And that got me thinking, right? Here's something I just kind of want to lay it out there. Are there wounds in our lives that God wants to envelop in his grace? I remember that there are things that happen to us. I've talked to a number of you in different times. Not, not anymore, everybody, but I hear stories. I know my own. There are things that are, we might call them self-inflicted wounds, stuff we do that hurts us. Something gets in there. We have no run really to blame. We did it. We made the choice. We got the consequence of our decisions. A lot of times reap something that we, we sowed and, and it's hard. And we have to deal with the repercussions of decisions. Maybe part of us wants to blame somebody. But some of our wounds, some of our injuries are a direct result of our own self. They are literally like self-inflicted wounds. But there's a whole lot of other wounds in life that have nothing to do with being self-inflicted. They were, they're like products of, of someone else's decisions. They're like trust injuries. They're, they're people who should have loved us better that didn't do it right. Or someone breaks, their, breaks a promise or hurts us in a way that is almost hard to express. And some of us are still suffering from elements of that wounding. And it's not so easy just to pretend it's not there. And it can happen with parents. It can happen with people who have shared with us at the most deepest, intimate level, levels. And the thing about it is, is that some injuries don't just go away. They're real. They, they, they get into our life, and we can't get them out. You know what the Bible talks about as being like um, a jars of clay? He says, you are like, human beings are like jars of clay. It's not just physical. In other words, we, we can contain things, but we crack easy. <laughs> you know what the Bible is reminding us is that a lot of times we are very vulnerable to things. Um, I, far more vulnerable than we know, plus life is complicated. We have emotions. You do. I do. We have feelings. People say, oh, what's wrong with you? You know, why do you feel that way? Sometimes there's a logical answer. Sometimes there isn't. Um, some of us struggle with addictions because we're trying to deal with the pain. Or we wandered into a self-inflicted wound and we got ourselves in trouble and now we don't know how to get out of it. Some of us were just trying to deal with that intruder, if you will. But we tried to seal it off and so we, there's a part of us that's not open. God's trying to deal with, get us to deal with that. That's where his grace comes in. There are some things, listen to me, that loved ones, that we, we will not be healed without an invasion of grace in our lives. Um, there will be no solution from our world or culture for what ails us. But there is something from him. You know, there's a man uh, that I periodically read one of his writings. His name was Francis Thompson. Thompson was a poet. In the late uh, 1800s, he wrote a poem that captured the dilemma he found himself in. Because on the one hand, he loved God a lot. Early in his life, he wanted to be a priest. He was very artistically gifted, had a way with words, loved to write. But um, he also got a disease. It was like a nerve disease that he acquired. And uh, he, he was in pain a lot. And so he did actually what people do today still. He tried to medicate himself so that he wouldn't feel his pain. He was in London at the time, and he ended, up, he ended up using opium. But he didn't just use opium. It was like an opium ethanol mix or some type of a mix 
I think they called it Ladrum or something, Landrum or something. Anyway, the bottom line was he became an opium addict. And out of that, 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 began, that plagued him for a majority of his life. He had to constantly struggle with it. He eventually died, actually, of, tu of tuberculosis. But along the way, he wrote something that has inspired people for generations to f who follow Jesus now. He wrote this poem. He wrote more than a few, but he wrote one of them that we now remember. And oftentimes, it's inspiring for people. He called it the Hound of Heaven. He talked about how God was on his trail, even when he was trying to run away from him. He talked about how when he was even in his darkest place, when he's trying to literally just, you know, feel sorry for himself and he felt like totally trapped, how he could also feel simultaneously the love of God relentlessly on his trail. And he wrote about it. And I put part of it in your hand out there. It's called the Hand of Heaven, the Hound of Heaven. And I want to just kind of read a portion, a portion of it through. I know it's language we don't all use. Uh, it's poetic, almost an ode, they call it. But he writes this, Thompson, out of his pain and out of his love for God, those two things mixing together, as he grapples with the fact that God will not stop pursuing him. He says, I fled him down the nights and down the days, like he's running from the Lord. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways. Again, the idea of a, a labyrinthine, the maze-like, Thing that's fraught with dead ends and hidden dangers. And he said, I fled him down the nights, down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my mind. And in the midst of tears, you know, I hid from him. And under running laughter, upvisted hopes, I sped and I shot, precipitated adown titanic glooms of chasm fears from those strong feet that followed, followed after but with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat, and a voice beat, more instant even than the feet, all things betray thee who betrayest me. He's talking about being pursued by God, how he can't outrun him, even in his shame, how he's trying to escape. Part of him is afraid to surrender, but he knows he can't run. You know this? This is a truth. Once you've come to know Jesus, in any way, you are ruined forever. <laughs> in the best way. Because you will never ever be able to run from his grace. Even when we try, Thompson was saying, I'm running. I'm that man. I'm running down the maze, down the labyrinthine ways into the corners and the places, and he's, I can hear him. He's on my trail. I hear him. No hurrying there. That, that, that unhurried chase, that unperturbed hate, right? That whole idea just relentlessly coming after me. I try to get away. He's on me. I try to run. He's pursuing me. Everywhere I go, I can hear him. Undisturbed, but coming. The grace of God that will never let us go. The love that pursues us always, even when we try to run away. That's what he's talking about. And then look how he finishes it up. And again, I know that it's language maybe, because he's saying basically, there's no way my life will work. That, that one phrase, all things betray thee who betrays me. That voice, that's what it's saying, right? That voice, a beat, more instant than the feet, he says, all things betray thee who betrays me. In other words, your life will never work right without me. No. You can run, but I'm on your trail. The relentless pursuit of the love of God. 
I pleaded outlaw-wise like a rebel. Many, by many a hearted casement, curtained red, trellised with intertwining charities. For though I knew his love who followed, yet I was sore to dread. You see what he's saying there? I had this conflict in me. I know he loves me, but I'm afraid to give up this stuff. I'm torn. I know if I surrender, I have to let go. And even though I don't like what I have, part of me is so afraid. You see it. So I run from, the, from what I know is his love because there's also fear working in me. Lest having him, I should have not beside. He's talking about what he's going to give up. But if one little casement parted wide, the gust of his approach would clash it to fear. Look at that last phrase. and We'll leave it right there. Fear wists not to evade as love wists to pursue. Fear wouldn't leave me even as I know his love wouldn't stop pursuing me. It's fantastic. And, I, you know, and again, we're talking about a couple of things here because he's clearly alluding to the pursuing love of God, the devotion of the one who will not let him go, who just keeps pursuing him. Here's the thing. Not only, I want you to see this, if I can communicate it properly. Not only does, is what Jesus is teaching us at some level that God has been pursuing this world in its broken sinfulness and flaws. He's pursued it by giving us himself. So he's pursued everyone. Whoever will have him. That's humility. Secondly, for those who have received him, we're reminded that his grace will never stop pursuing us, ever. So on the one hand, he pursues this world with his love. And on the other hand, he pursues us relentlessly, even when we drift and run away and get ourselves into stuff. And here's where it brings us. And where I want to leave us. Because it's what I was really, really struck by. Because I think sometimes surrendering to his grace in certain areas of our lives, especially these struggling places, is going to involve patience. Patience with the process. You're going to understand what I'm saying in a moment. And we'll just put this up. Are there areas of our life that we need to surrender to his grace where patience will be required? And what would that look like? What I'm going to suggest is, yes, he loves this world. Yes, he pursues us. But there are also things that he wants to do in our life that are going to take time, and they're going to be more of a process than they are going to be something that is just ripped away. So let's go back to the pearl for a moment and think about what happens when that grain of sand gets in there, that invader drops in, that thing gets in there, can't get it out. I'm wounded. I'm hurt. I'm not getting better. What happens? I want to suggest that it's almost like God saying, I want to cover you when that happens. A lot of times we'll say, Lord, take it away from me. But it doesn't work that way. A lot of times the healing process of God in our lives is like a layer of grace over 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 a layer of grace. Like the way he deals with it in us is that by us welcoming his grace at work in our lives, there are some things that the, the wounds so deep, whether they're self-inflicted, like with Francis Thompson, or whether they're a product of things that, 
that um, you know, have happened to us in our lives that we're struggling with or that are just weighing us down. They might be, be shame-based things. They might be things that we've done that we feel guilty about that seems to plague us. They might be habits that we acquired. I've talked about that, that we seem to never get quite free of. Where am I? And we fail and we need God. And in that place, we say, just take it away, God. Take it out of me, right? It doesn't go, though. It's there. It's like invaded me. So what are we going to do about that? How does he sometimes heal? I'm going to suggest what the Lord does is he seals that. You know, I was reading, I was reading about a pearl because pearls are, they, not, they really can't produce it. It's, I mean, they can do, do artificial ones that in some ways, I guess, look even better, I guess. But really the light refraction is so unusual. They haven't completely, from what I basically did when I was doing the research on it, they basically, they marvel at it, what it is. They haven't quite figured out how it makes what it does. And I always said, well, he's thinking, wow, it reminds me of God's grace at work in our lives as he covers the wounds of our heart or the struggle we have, some of us have right now. You know what? It got me thinking. I said, I wonder how long it takes for a pearl to form in like the natural. So I looked it up. And it can take, interestingly, anywhere between six months to 24 months for a pearl to form after something has invaded it, like a grain of sand. Layer after layer after layer. And what struck me was how there are some things in our lives that it's gonna take time to let God's grace sort of cover that one layer at a time. And the goal is not, and the thing about it is, by the time it's done, there's actually something beautiful there that people mar actually marvel at. It's beauty. I mean, it's like, and I'm reminded that, okay, I don't know if some things are ever going to get completely better, but I know this. There is something out of that if we're willing to let God help us. And a lot of times we get frustrated. We go, you know, I got to get this out now. Or, you know, we start, we start feeling, uh, like I said, really just stressed, anxious about, I got to get it out, got to get it out, got to get it out. Instead of just, I'm going to suggest there are some things where the Lord is just saying, you know what? You're just going to have to let my, you have to be patient with this process. You're going to have to let my grace just sort of like envelop this one layer at a time. But, and you're not even going to get it right all the time. But it's okay. Because we're working on something. But can't I just get out of this? Maybe not. Or maybe it's going to, look at it, maybe it's going to take a little while. Now maybe by the time we're done, there's going to be enough beauty there that you can say, this is my story of what God can do. But sometimes it's going to take a whole long time. I don't know. I don't know the length. I do think it's fascinating to look at, though, the fact that this is not a short-term, quick thing. It's a process. Some of, us are, some of us are very anxious. We get very frustrated with ourselves. I know when I say what I'm about to say, some of us might go, oh, you're giving us the easy out. But I'm going to suggest there are some struggles inside of us that maybe for other people, they're not that hard, but for us, they are hard. And that there are times, and you've heard me say this before, every now and then I'll say it. You need to be more gentle on yourself. It's okay. He loves us. He's under no illusions. He's pursuing us no matter what. And he wants to cover us, cover this with grace in our lives so that not only do we heal up, but it becomes actually a source of encouragement, ideally, and beauty, even in the woundedness. 
we say, I may not have wanted this, but God has used this in a way to show me something of who he is and how much I am loved. And to be a part of the healing process of layer upon layer of grace, it doesn't happen all at once. It's a time, patient with the process. You know what Jesus said? This will be the last thing, and we'll close it with this. He said this when he said in the scriptures, he said, be anxious. I don't want you to be anxious. He says, therefore, I tell you, be, don't be anxious about your life. What? <laughs> don't be anxious about your life. And then he, he talks about the most basic things of life. Because a lot of times that's what we're working for, that and a little bit of free time to do stuff, to buy stuff and do stuff in a prosperous culture. It's just things like, don't worry about stuff. Don't, be, don't get so locked up in that stuff. And, then, and flip that next to the next verse if you can. Look what he says. He says, look at the birds of the air. I imagine Jesus sitting there talking to the disciples or the people that were gathered by the hill in Galilee. When he said, you see those birds flying over there? That flock of birds, flock of birds, flying through the air. You see them? They don't have a care in the world right now. You know, the Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father, they don't, so they don't, look, our Heavenly Father has provided for them in their own way, in their own time. This is what he says, are you not of more value than even those birds? I tell you, you are. And which of you, by being anxious, can add really one single hour to the span of your life? Or as the older version says, add a cubit to your life. Which is like, like Jesus is saying is, don't try to, to squeeze too hard and fight so hard. You need to trust me. And for some of us, we're so anxious. We wrap ourselves up in mental gymnastics and we get, we can... We can, if you're, you know, I got to solve this thing. I got to solve this thing. I got to solve this thing. Or this hurts so bad. This hurts so bad. This hurts so bad. Or I'm so d discouraged at either how I'm handling it or, or how this situation is unraveling on me. And I have no joy. You know, wherever that is, there are times, and then we feel bad about how we feel, right? It's like, I not only feel bad about what's happening, I feel bad about the way I'm handling what's happening. I just feel bad. And I want to say the Lord right there is saying, you know what? You need to let the grace of God work in your life. You need to let that thing get covered up a little bit. Quit fighting so hard. What? Yeah. Patient with the process. Maybe pull back a little bit. Trust God's goodness. He loves us. He pursues us. He's given everything for us. His grace will be present in our lives. Even when we don't do it right, the Lord is going to come back around. It's layer upon layer. And it's a long haul thing. Some things don't happen overnight. It's a long haul. It's layer to layer. It's a little, lose a little ground, gain some ground. It's over time, though. It becomes a beautiful thing. Huh. Let me pray, all right? We'll pray. Lord, I, I, um, I thank you. Because if, if nothing else, then just to remind us, uh, for some of us who are holding on very tight right now to certain things, and um, that doesn't solve anything. It doesn't. It doesn't. And yet I understand why we do it. I totally get it. Um, you, you got it too. You understood why we do it. But we need to trust you. We need to trust you with our lives. We, we, we're invited to do so. We're invited to welcome your grace into the places, in the spaces that are most difficult for us. We're invited to, to, to let that thing layer over and layer over and layer over the wound or the hurt or the harm we do to ourselves so that over time it becomes actually potentially something even beautiful a testimony of your grace and what your love can do in our lives, even with our struggles and contradictions. So I just pray for your blessing 
over our closing time. You know, bless our time of giving, obviously. That's how our church, uh, in a way, prospers and is blessed. But at the same time, I ask that you would be with us in this closing song. Help us, since we've put in this time, not to run past this moment. Let the word that we've heard settle in and let this song be like the closing word for us, this benediction, if you will, this prayer of blessing. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.